Welcome to How Art is Born, a podcast from the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver about the origins of artists and their creative and artistic practices. I'm your host, R. Allen Brooks, artist, writer, and professor. Today I'm joined by the front woman of the Dirty South-based funk soul rock group, The Serotones, and reproductive justice advocate, AJ Haynes. Say hi. Hi. That's how we make sure people know the difference between our voices. Hey. <laughs> okay, to start off, AJ, could you tell us a little bit about who you are? Hmm. Big question, right? Who am I? Right. Um, where do I begin? <laughs> So I was, uh, I've been thinking a lot about like, lineage and ancestry. Um, so where am I, you know, where am I placing myself in space and time right now? And I can say that, you know, I'm the daughter of Jane, uh, granddaughter of Octavia, great-granddaughter of Lottie, um, you know, and just out here living my life as a free black queer southerner. Uh, and it feels really great. I have the privilege of um, making a life out of art and art out of life through <laughs> through uh, my most recent project with serotones, uh, Love and Algorithms. So I'm feeling really, right, I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling myself, <laughs> you know? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling where I am. Um, daughter of an immigrant, you know, just sitting sitting at a lot of really terrifying and beautiful intersections. So I guess that would be yeah. the the quick quick roundabout way of, of saying um, you know, I am who I am. <laughs> you know what, I love that. I think that's a great place to start, right? Um, you and I both grew up in the South. Um, what I find from myself growing up in the South um, being creative, black, artistic, is that uh, it sort of stoked a lot of fear in my elders and community. Mm, really? Yeah, I think uh, it just sort of being the next generation after civil rights, mm. like the, the, the things that make me an artist are also the things that make me stand out. Those are things that would have gotten me murdered, you know, um, mm. you know, 50 years before or whatever. So. I think some of that is still in the DNA of black Southern people, where we sort of police each other in a way. I don't know if you encountered that. You know, I feel very fortunate to have um, I, I didn't have that experience, you know, because I my great-grandmother, Lottie Haynes, Capricorn Queen, <laughs> you know, had 12 children and was in a really loving relationship, you know, with her husband, Armstead, which is really kind of <laughs> rare for back in the day. You just right. kind of got with who you got with and hoped it worked out, you know, and to have love and admiration for each other and respect. Um, and so, like, rooted in that and rooted in this, you know, very matriarchal lineage right it's understood that mothering and creativity are one and the same and that is how we get free actually and so i was always encouraged to just like make stuff my grandmother used to like it was just her birthday it was uh, on the 31st my grandma used to um uh she would say aj come here and i'd be like what grandma She's like, come sing for these people and she would <laughs> give me like you know some peppermints and like five dollars and she was like you have to sing for them now and that's what I did. I did it. She said, you sing right now. I'm like, okay. Well, I'm not going to tell her no. You tell a Leo woman no. <laughs> Try. Right. It does not go well. And you earned your peppermints. You just earned. I got those peppermints. Right. And so, like, you know, especially thinking about the context of the civil rights era, you know, mm. I, I think that what gets remembered by the general public were the most visible people, which were, like, you know, the masculine of center were the, were the dudes. Um when in fact when we think about you know if we think of dr martin luther king as like um our leader you know our our most visible figurehead like coretta was right there right um and it was because she rooted the movement in, in arts mm -hmm. is how it survived mm. right so i 
I feel very lucky that that was my experience and that's the way that I was raised. And some of it, you know, it's like sometimes it's patriarchy versus matriarchy, you know, like not versus, but the difference that I experienced. Because I can say very clearly that I grew up in a matriarchy like all day long um, within within which like there was a healthy mutual respect for for you know what we've created of gender you know um so it's like and i kind of you know as a reproductive justice advocate specifically as an abortion advocate you know i feel like my visibility um is you know like hiding in plain sight you know what i mean like i'm black and you know i'm half filipina like People gonna do what they gonna do. Period. Like we're in a police state. They're gonna say what they're gonna say. They're gonna do what they're gonna do. You know, I have. I, n- I know precisely what we're dealing with. The people that stormed the Capitol are the same people that protest out, quote unquote, protest and harass people outside of abortion clinics. Yeah. I've been followed home by those people. Hmm. Like, I know who we're dealing with, and I know precisely what time it is. And right. I wish somebody would. <laughs> you know. So I think it's. It's uh, there's something about just being in plain sight. Like I'm here. Yeah. Come no. at me, like whatever. <laughs> you know, so I did, don't I did come at me because nonviolence, you yeah. know. But like, please don't. But but nothing. Please you don't. <laughs> <laughs> like those two. But there's a. I, I wrote a graphic novel a few years ago called Anguish Garden, right? And it's an allegory for leaving white supremacist movements. That one got me death threats. Mm-hmm. And it was this, you know, same kind of dynamic where it's like, um, people are hiding behind things but also trying to make me uncomfortable in my space. Mm. And, and I feel like um, if I make myself smaller, then I'm s- definitely giving them what they want. Right. But you know, before we started recording, uh, I was talking to you about my niece and I was saying for, for myself, when I had to think about, is this art important enough mm. to me to possibly be r- risking my life for it? I thought about what am I contributing to the world that my niece will grow up right. in? You know, and then my decision was really kind of easy to make. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, we can act like that? Right. You know, that's when and being in community with, like, so many other just rad folks, um, and especially, like, learning from other, like, black women, especially learning from other black queer women yeah. and non-binary folks and, like, all the gender folks, gender, just the whole genders, all of it, <laughs> whatever you make of it. Anyway, just learning from them, I'm like, oh, that's how we can be? Oh, that's what time it is? Right. Like, Actually, uh, those feelings are not mine to hold. <laughs> like, and it's, it's just like, uh, that's what I want children to see. I want them to see like what's possible and to say, mm, why not? Hmm. You know, yeah. which is their natural inclination. Right. They say, but why? And I'm like, I, sh- sh- I don't know. Let's <laughs> figure it out together. Right. You know? Well, so it was interesting because uh, the question I was getting to was like, um, for me, a lot of times when people are sort of given the motivational thing about being creative or even uh, being revolutionary mm. or an activist, a lot of it is around pushing through your own fear. Mm-hmm. But for me, I had to push through the fear of the community around me mm. in order to be my fullest self. And I wonder, uh, you know, I did see that you, you were born in Japan, is mm-hmm. that right? Okay. So th- uh, I wonder for you being born somewhere else, right. having um, another heritage to the draw on in culture, and growing up in the South, mm-hmm. being sort of identified as black, mm-hmm. um, does that inform just sort of how you how you find your biggest and most expansive self? Absolutely. Like, and it's always a process of discovery, too. You know, I recently discovered um, in indigenous Filipina culture, there was the uh, leader of the community called the Babaylan. Hmm. Um, and the Babylon were typically like feminine center, you know, but definitely, I mean, it's co- like gender is a colonial, like colonialization thing, whatever. But anyway, and <laughs> the, the Babylon like were they were medicine people. They were like doulas of for all pregnancy outcomes. They were, you know, the witch bitches. They were like who the, um, you know, kings or whatever the the term would be within the tribe who the lead folk would ask for consult. So I'm like, I'm always in this process of discovering something new, Hmm. you know, and it's the process of discovery that informs my decisions 
um, you know, because it's not static. Like yeah. all of these different identities are like they're both and they're here and they're you know centuries ago, and um, just having that. I think you know specifically thinking about coming to the U.S. Whenever I was like four or something. Um, so my mother's from the Philippines. My father's from Louisiana. They met in Yokosuka, Japan. Had me, my brother, and sister, and then we moved from Yokosuka to Columbia, Louisiana, and moved in with my grandma. Um, and that was it was interesting to like see myself as other, you know, because immediate my first experience of the world and seeing people was like, oh, people are just people, you know, like they have different skin tones and that has no value, right? It's just like, oh, this is pretty or like, you know, like this is, it's an observation. There's no meaning attached to it. There's no value attached to it. And then, you know, I remember the first time this little boy said, what about colored people? And I was like, what are you talking about? Purple huh. and green? Like, right. If that gives you, first of all, a sense of like, I grew up in the country. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> I was like, when, when were they using the term colored? They were using right. the term colored. <laughs> right. Or you know, the N-word. Right. You know, and like, for me, black identity was how we named ourselves, right? It wasn't like other people calling us black. It was like, I'm black and I'm proud. Right. I'm black and I'm beautiful because we are calling ourselves this because these white supremacists out here got other choice words and we're just not using them. Um, and, you know, growing up, one of my best friends, I was not allowed to go to her birthday sleepover parties because her dad was a Klansman. You know, like that wasn't that long ago. Right. I'm only thirty four, you know. Yeah. And so being able to shift I mean I'm, we're really just shifting like um time. You know, like I'm thinking of that and then I'm also able to like, you know, we're going to Berlin, you know, tomorrow, which is awesome. Right. Uh and just and thinking about how they are experiencing time very differently and how they are remembering, you know, the past. Um, Have you been to Berlin before? God, yes. Yeah. So proud. I very much love the <coughs> the arts community there. Yeah. Like I was just, uh, I was there a few years ago, but it was like I was just meeting people on a train and they were like, hey, you should come check out our artist collective. Right. And yeah. Like, I was walking down the street, and there was, like, a fashion shoot, and I was like, what's going on? And they were like, hey, you should be part of this fashion <laughs> shoot. And I was like, all right. And I signed, a, like, a contract in German. I'm sure it was fine. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but they told me they might use it, like, on billboards, and, like, it was, like, a Be Berlin campaign. And what? I was like, you know, I don't live here. <laughs> and they were like, no, no, it's fine. And I was like, all right, cool, you know. Right, because they're, like, immigrants and people that aren't, quote, unquote, from here, because the last time we were trying to, like, that the people that were only from here, quote unquote, should right. need to stay, was when it got real hairy. So right. let's not do that no more. <laughs> <laughs> let's embrace everybody. <laughs> let's just be here. You, you're from here now. You're here now. Cool. <laughs> hmm. Okay. So there's so much to um, hearing, like how you how you see yourself in the world, how you see yourself within that kind of thing. I, I want to go back a little, and uh, you talked about young memories of singing for your grandmother mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, was there a certain point for you where you knew singing was going to be the thing that you did? Or did, was that kind of always with you? It's always and, like, is that the thing I'm doing still? <laughs> you know, I'm like, is that what I'm actually doing? Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm really, uh, really lucky and really guided, you know. And um, I was... I mean, I'm a sing, period. You know, like right. I was going to sing whether I'm getting paid to or not. My grandmother told me, taught me, get paid. You know, <laughs> yeah. like there's money here and what you're doing is a service. Like for me, singing is like an act of service. You know, it's very much so, you know, here's my contribution to, to helping people process, to helping, helping, period. Right. You know, um, and so it's, it's service for myself. It's service like for my ancestors. It's service for people that are here and uh, you know in the flesh. I don't know. I just I've always done it. Yeah. And was determined to to try out having a, a rock and roll band. You know. How'd you pick rock and roll? Reclamation. Yeah. I was like, this 
smash that. Right. Like, we made, we made that. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, a lot of adolescence too. So rock and roll for me feels very much so like a part of, like, the adolescence of of this country. Uh-huh. You know, and um. Yeah, I, I, and it was also that's those are the guys that I was hanging out with. You know, we're all putting on DIY punk shows, like, um, you know, listening to Led Zeppelin. And I was like, I want a rock and roll band, damn <laughs> it, you know. And from there, it's like I just, you know, I don't really. I was very keen on like unpacking, or at least like continuing to draw the line f- uh, from rock and roll in, in America to like the African diaspora. And specifically, like, looking at, like, Yoruban culture and, like, the trickster gods and goddesses, yeah. you know, like, like that's where rock and roll actually came from is its spirit. Um, and then after kind of living that discovery, then I'm like, actually, like, we're, mu- we're so, God, you should rock music. Like, how incredible. Like, <laughs> just, you can do whatever you want. And, um, and then shifted from rock and roll to, like, uh, I mean, where we are now, which, and you know, I like to name myself as, like, sci-fi punk, sci-fi ah. funk, you know, like, I mean, it's really black music when I think of, I mean, black is in, like, dark matter, black is in, like, the thing that holds and also contains everything yeah. and, and is, you know, beyond, um, and, you know, for me, I think actually discovering, like, Alice Coltrane was part of that shift, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> of like, mm, this is this is we c- we can do this, right? You know, we can play harp. She she. Uh, this music is devotional, right? Um, and devotion in ways that people may not have heard before, but in immediately understand. You listen to Alice Coltrane, and you're like, I don't need to know what mode this is in. I don't need to know. She did. She was winging it. I mean, classically trained, like and musician you know all around but she was like this is this is spirit music period and so shifting from like wanting to draw the like um, like the historical cultural line with rock and roll and then just going straight to spirit and it's like okay what does spirit want and what is what is spirit asking of me right um, and it sounds like it's filtered through all of my experiences, you know, and it's it's honest in that way, and that's I feel like Alice Coltrane operates. She's just like I'm gonna do what I do. Yeah. Let it be what it is. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I'm um, I'm hearing a theme in, in terms of how you talk about your art that I think might also overlap with your activism, mm. which is uh, the the theme of service. Right. right. And I think um like so for me as an artist, I'm very there's a lot of thought for me into how my art affects the world around me. Um, what what am I doing to contribute to making it a better world? Right, right. Um, and then, you know, I feel like for some other artists, art is about um, working out, like having a catharsis, working right. out, whatever. And sometimes it could be both. Mm-hmm. But I wonder for you, like, um, when you're approaching your music specifically, is there something that you want to deliver to the world? Is there something you want people to walk away from, um, you know, after having heard it? Mm, I mean... I just want people to have an honest experience, Hmm. you know, like I'm not going to tell people how to feel, you know, even with, for example, like good day. Good Day is honestly written from, like, grief, you know? Grief is, like, the other side of joy. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, that was my process, and I don't know how anyone else will process it. I hope they just get whatever they need out of Mm. it, you know? I don't know. 
Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like, whatever you need, just get it. Take it home. Huh. Go for it. Well, so it's interesting that you, you mentioned that it's about grief because, uh, you know, uh, I, I did give you one of my comments. Mm -hmm. it's, it's called Grieving Mall, and the reason I bring it up is because what it came from for me was about eight years ago, my mother almost died. Um, she had like a 50-50 chance of, she had a, you know, like she was having surgery and I got on the plane and didn't know whether she'd be alive by the mm -hmm. time I landed. And just, uh, thankfully she's okay. Um, but just that brush with grief, right. I felt like my mind was being twisted, you know, like it was, um, it was just something unlike anything I ever dealt with. And I thought, well, man, I need to get ready for this, you know, like. I need and to that's figure the crazy out how thing to do it. You can't. Yes. There's no getting ready right. for it. That's what happened. Like I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna solve grief, but it didn't work. No. Right? <laughs> that's but, uh, not how it works. Right. But one of the things I guess that I noticed the most when it came to grief, uh, the biggest regret that people tend to have is uh, the things that are left unsaid. Mm. And so for me, in writing that story, it's really about the things that are left unsaid. Right. Um, and and my hope, of course, and people engaging with that art is that uh, they feel it and have that resolution right. so that they don't have somebody die or they don't die themselves without saying the things that are important to them. Um, so for you in creating Good Day out of grief, mm -hmm. um, is it, well I guess you just said, you said just get what you need from it. Yeah, get what you need from it and you know I think there's something to like why have we as humans felt compelled to like create, you know? Like, what is the point? And, you know, for me, I think part of that is, like, you're communicating with the ancestors, right? Like, yeah. uh, yes, things are left unsaid, you know, like, but that doesn't mean you can't say them now, and that doesn't mean they're not listening, you right. know? <laughs> like, and I, I also have a pretty, I guess, uniquely, um, whatever my perspective is, you know, because my mother, my mother passed when I was very young. She died in a, I was 10 years old and she died in a head-on collision. Oh, wow. Freak accident, you know, and had to become acquainted with grief very quickly. Right. You know, I in addition to being in the role of like a child mother almost, even though I have two younger brothers, I have mm. a younger brother and sister. I okay. have to like get it together. The right. first thing I did after my mom passes, I did the dishes, you know, like, and not to say that that's a way to push through grief because you work through it. I'm just saying, like, in real time, like, it's never what you think it's going to be, you know? And for me, part of expressing myself is absolutely, like, I'm communicating with my mother. Yeah. You know, all day, all day long. Actually, I was just having a conversation with my dad uh, on the way up. And he was like, I visited your, you know, mom's gravesite, and I was, she... He played the, a song that I, a uh, video that I did of uh, singing Earth, Wind, and Fire's Devotion. Okay. You know? And he was like, you sound just like her. And I was like, I know. Huh. She's smart. You yeah. know? Like, spirit is smart. And if you get the chance to work with spirit, man, it's so worth it. You know? <laughs> like, wow, we get to do this with art? Holy shit. <laughs> like, right. every day I'm like, wow. This yeah. is, it's a discovery. And, um, you know, grief is, it's just like grief is just the measure by which you're vulnerable and there's all there's so much power in vulnerability and you know i blame colonialism for telling us that we shouldn't make space for grief you know when you look at a lot of indigenous cultures you know there is actively time for grief there's like a whole process we got rituals we got we're making time for grief today yeah. you know like hmm. i'm reading about um what is this tribe the book I'm reading is called Of Water and Spirit um, by Patricia Maladome about this uh, African tribe, the Birifori. And, you know, he was uh, giving an account of what the funeral looked like for, for their tribe. And it's like days long process. And like the grief is like, you have to get it out of your body. Yeah. You know, and there's built in wi within the culture there are processes for communing with the ancestors hmm. it's like that's so intelligent why are we doing that <laughs> <laughs> right and i feel like artists as this role you know like yeah. you're called a spirit you're saying oh that's what's needed mm -hmm. right and if you're saying if spirit is saying oh we need to talk about grief we need to make space for it right wow 
like yeah, you're healers, a, you know? Part of the culture. <laughs> that's that's something. I love that. MCA Denver at the Holiday Theater is a hub for the arts located in this historic 400-seat theater. We aim to realize one-of-a-kind creative experiences for audiences that spark curiosity, challenge conventions, inspire, and delight. Visit mcadenver.org to learn more about the robust schedule of museum-driven and collaborative programming. You said something a, a little while ago about um, how much power there is in vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Saul Williams told me that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, nice. when I was 17. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's a true thing. It was so random. Well, it's so interesting to me, too, because I feel like, um, well, at least, f you know, for my journey, as, as a man, as a black man specifically, I have to make a decision to be vulnerable mm. um, because so much of uh, oppression, culture, whatever, right. you know, like basically tries to separate you from it. But I found that... Uh, if I armor myself against the world, then I'm not in contact with my most creative. Mm -mm. I can't create art. No, That's really what it's it comes like you're cutting. To. It's like you're cutting your limb off. Yeah. You know, like you so it's like I have to be militantly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and once once I push through whatever whatever tries to stop me from doing that, there's there's such a gift on the other mm -hmm. side of it. It's something so beautiful and um, authentic. Relationships are much right. like much more real. Like it's just a beautiful thing. Did you did you f yourself have have any journey to to being vulnerable? Oh, um, every day, yeah. right now in real time, <laughs> all the time. You know, like because we in this in this society that we live in, you yeah. know, uh, we're not rewarded for that. Right. You know, we're not rewarded for our vulnerability unless it's that you know, as we were talking about earlier with TikTok and Instagram. Like yeah. there's this feigned vulnerability. Wherein someone is profiting, period. Right. Like, and it's not you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so how uh, how do we mm, like reclaim that, you know? And I'm always in that process. Ironically, it's usually like my most intimate relationships are the ones that I struggle with vulnerability the most because hmm. it's too close. Right. Do me too good. Right. Back up, you know, but don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's and you know with my most recent relationship, like I'm in like the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. Congratulations. It's amazing. Like this is possible. Right. <laughs> wow. Um, and having to catch myself, you know, where I'm like hardening, like I don't have to. Right. For what? Yeah. You know, and I'm strong. I'm resilient. Duh. That's not a question. Yeah. I don't have to prove that. You know, you know, real G's know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And you know, I mean, it's like a lifelong pattern of survival, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, protecting yourself in certain situations makes yes. sense. But being able to like flip that switch and be like, I don't have to do those things here. Right. Is such a deliberate exercise. You gotta talk to your child self and be like, it's okay. Right. You're good now. You don't have to do that. I got <laughs> you. You know, Tikna Han talks about like uh, talking to the child self. Like yeah. And that just really resonated with me. Like, hmm. you tell you know, tell eight year old AJ it's cool. Just calm down. You know, I got you. <laughs> I wanna ask a question about your your art specifically, um, I, I find that there's a lot of people um, who think that there's a destination in art. Like, you know, mm -mm. if I just get X, if I just get the record deal, if I just get the publishing deal, whatever. Um, and uh, obviously for you, it's a journey. You seem to be very good about um, being like, here's where I am. Right. You know, and, in, and enjoying that and then figuring out what your next goals mm -hmm. are. But um, I guess... How do you how do you process goals as an artist? How do you measure mm. what you've accomplished? Or is it important to you at all? Yeah, it is important. I'm trying to like I'm trying to work on the practice of gratitude more, honestly. Like, yes, goals are important. Yes, like there's a business to this one hundred percent. And like keep a good team around you. Right. Like understand the me the me mechanisms, the uh, processes, but like is if that's the goal, okay, that's your goal. That's not mine, you right. know. Like, <laughs> no interest in doing something that is not aligned with like my like ethics and my mm. morals and my spirit. I have no interest in that whatsoever, because then it it sullies this gift, yeah. you know. Um, and I say so. Yes, and like, how do I measure goals? You know, like financially, yes. Like, I'd like to make more money so that I can 
and not only make more money, but how I make the money, like how it would, you know, this ties into reproductive justice, right? So reproductive justice, you know, is a framework created by a group of 16 black women in like 1994 or 92, um, in response to seeing how the democratic party was just like, you know, we're not even talking about reproductive health, you know, that's not a winnable issue. And they were like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, Loretta Ross is like, mm, try again. And, you know, created this framework and uh, reproductive justice is the human right to determine when to have a child, if you want a child, and being able to raise that child in a safe and sustainable environment. Right? So, and I'm thinking about my child self, like how is my child self safe? My child self is safe whenever... I get sleep, you right. know, whenever I'm not in fight or flight all the time. Cause I've toured like that. Like I've lived like that before right. and I thrived in it, mm-hmm. but is that sustainable? <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. is it sustainable getting drunk on wild turkey one-on-one every night? Mm, no. <laughs> uh, and so now I'm like, I need that juice. I need that, that extra sleep, you know? So for me, you know, I, I want to have more integrative and creative ways of touring that, are more engaged in the community just like this, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm getting I'm I'm getting fed by the community. We're feeding each other. Right. You know, um and and just creating new ways of doing this. Hmm. Because it's a whole new who, who knows what's gonna happen in the next year and what right. what's possible. You know, these paradigms, these like infrastructure shifting is broken, whatever, you know, you create something new. You have something has to die for something to be born. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so, okay, it, it's interesting you to hear you talk about um, bringing a new paradigm mm-hmm. to touring and, and stuff like that. It was, for me, coming from... Oh, because you was touring, oh, my Lord. Yeah. You were touring in, like... <laughs> <sighs> yeah, in a van all over. It's exhausting. Yeah, and basically you just drive and get on stage, and then you're like, wait, what? I, I know how people had that thing where they don't know what city they're in. Because basically you just... It is so disembodied. <laughs> yeah. Like the way that touring has been set up, when you think about like Elvis hopping in a car or going wherever, you think about like Smokey Robinson and, you know, uh, whoever, Marvin Gaye, just getting right. in a damn car. Right. And going... Su- it's an unsustainable. It was set up wrong. Yeah. Okay? So like we can absolutely imagine something different. Yeah. And we will be whole in that process. <laughs> okay? Me, yes. And Become it. <laughs> I'd say for me, the most powerful uh, moments on stage are um, when I make it about us, like mm-hmm. me and the audience. We are having an experience. Right, right, right. I mean, f- first of all, that comes from me being fundamentally an introvert, so I'm not really interested in them like adoring me, you right. know. But also coming up through hip hop, there mm-hmm. wasn't really a lot of that, right? So, right. Um, I mean, there was like engaging the audience, but making it like, hey, we are doing right, this. Right, right, right. Um, I think those are the strongest aspects and for me that that's the most um healing and regenerative version of myself on stage is to like have come off stage and have people straight people who are strangers before the show hug me you know yes it's like yeah. the best right. feeling and i feel like at a rap show you know like i, I don't expect that to happen yeah. a lot but it happened quite a bit you know that's because you're good at what you do <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that like whenever you whenever you're holding space you know, like yeah. i feel like artists are the best facilitators you know yeah. what i mean like you just you can read the room and you can say oh this person needs this or they didn't know they need this but now they have right. it you know like wow that's uh, that's such a gift and so like how do we retain that ability you know how do we make sure to sustain that um, embodiment um, in touring and you know the question is uh, yet to be answered I think we're figuring that out now yeah. which is very exciting yeah it's inter- yeah, cause I li- so like for me, having moved more into uh, the writing, graphic novel stuff. Smart, smart. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. That's that was wild. But like, you know, I'm still um, traveling and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and I find that like uh, the practices that I have for myself at home, it's hard for me to maintain them mm-hmm, when I'm traveling. Is. You know, like eating this way or exercising or whatever it is, you know. Um, are you are you figuring out ways for yourself to maintain whatever your healthy routines are? Yeah, I mean, yoga is... is man such a gift yeah you know um you because spatially you just need the size of your mat right you know i've been known to whip out a yoga mat in some strange places yeah and it's great because people just leave you alone <laughs> and it's awesome nice just like 
oh wow look at whatever just don't look at me I'm in my zone trying to like you know really focus on you know my intuitive body and like what are the micro movements and um, between a yoga mat and a jump rope I'm good you know I you know I I have a meditation practice and some days are you know some days I meditate some days I don't and it's a practice and I come back to it and Mm. I'm, I'm I think for me um instead of thinking of, of it as oh when I'm on tour like I don't do this as much or I don't do I should do this and getting out of the should and I could do this into right. mm, like into what feels right in the moment what do, what do I need you know how am I nurturing myself instead of these like benchmarks because then then we get critical and then we're like oh I didn't do that today and then it's like harder to get get back at it and you know just come back come back to it. it's all it is really difficult to eat well on tour i will say that um because food is like expensive it's just it it's expensive yeah. fuck i'm like now when i can go out you know i'm like i got gardens and stuff like i can go out in the backyard right. and pick some kale i'm like i'm good you know now i'm like how much is this kale and this <laughs> kale salad and this tempeh great <laughs> like it's stressful that's the thing that stresses me out the most on tour is food full Taurus over here. Like, <laughs> what am I eating? Right. <laughs> Need to know now. Um, but I, the framework is grace. Yeah. The framework is grace. And then you, what are the small things that I can do with a small space? All right. Rhymed. I don't know if that was intentional. It did not. I did not <laughs> intend that. Good job, me. Yikes. Yikes. Hmm. Okay, so, um, uh, by the way, I, did not know that specific history of reproductive rights, so thank mm, you yeah. for dropping that. And yeah, I, like, I didn't know justice. it, but uh, like I'm also not surprised by black it. Black women are the best. Right. We're the best. We're the best. I love it. <laughs> so good. So happy. God, just listen. Like, do yourself a favor and just listen to Loretta Ross do anything. Like, she's got um, a friend of mine has a podcast called Black Feminist Rants that yeah. is incredible. Okay. Um, and sh- Loretta Ross is a is a, a guest on that. Um, Sister Song has like a web series. I think they do. But Loretta Ross, just listen to her. She's like truly. I mean, when I think about a bodhisattva, you know, like that's it. That's that's it. You mm. know, there's MLK. We got Loretta Ross. You know, <laughs> we got Fannie Lou Hamer. Right <laughs> you on. know. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, uh, what is sort of your next direction? Like, what are you working mm. towards, uh, either with your activism, your art, or both? Right. So, it's it's very timely that you say that because we're working on a tour um, with. Well, we actually just announced um, this fall. We are um, working with Noise for Now to um, raise funds for the New Orleans Abortion Fund, of which I am the board president. Um, and so in each city, we're like giving free tickets to whoever's working in abortion care there, as well as um, providing educational pamphlets, information on how people within each city can connect with their local funds. Mm-hmm. Because like, this is the beauty of um, the uh, abortion network. There, well, n- one, there's, there's an um, organization called the Abortion Care Network, ACN, there's also the National Network of Abortion Funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the regional funds, regional state, you know, area funds, know specifically what their people need mm-hmm. because everyone's needs are very different. Like someone's needs in Denver are very different from someone's needs in like Shreveport, Louisiana. Right. I can tell you right now. Right. <laughs> uh, because the abortion landscape is so fragmented and so incredibly confusing and draconian to navigate right so with our tour we're going to be connecting local folks with their local funds as well as um, donating money a part of the proceeds will go to my hometown my home girls uh, my home folks at a a New Orleans abortion fund so that's one way of integrating Um, creatively I'm just really you know I'm really inspired by my mothering, you know, and it's also like my age. I'm 34. I'm like thinking about stuff, you know, like what is family, and what does that look like, and um, 
really digging into this book called Revolutionary Mothering, which is a compilation by Loretta Ross and Alexis Pauline <laughs> Gums, curated by them. She's back. <laughs> um, so creatively, that's what I'm interested in is mothering is like as a tool for how we create a more just world and hmm. how however that's going to translate into music. I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing with love and algorithms. I was like, I got a theme. Yeah. Let's get after it. What does spirit say? Let's roll, you hmm. know? Um, so both and, you know, uh, it just, I feel so, I've been working both in abortion care yeah, and like in a band for, you know, I started working in abortion care in 2009, 2008. Okay. We last, you know. Right. I don't know what I was doing, but I figured it out. <laughs> Um, and then started the band like shortly after that. So, oh, so these have all like been parallel. They're super parallel. Yeah. I would like get off tour and then go like work as an uh, abortion uh, patient advocate at the clinic. You know, huh. like they would just work with my scheduled touring because they were like, you know what to do. You yeah. know, you're good. Hmm. Hop in it. So it's they're always gonna weave and intersect. Um, but we have that coming up. What else do we have going on? Touring, writing. You know. Yeah. Well, I think there's been something my manager told me to say. <laughs> Is there? Oh, festivals. We have some really awesome oh, nice. festivals lined up. We're playing music at the intersection in San Luis. That's going to be dope. Huh. Um, oh, uh, well, I can't announce some of the festivals, actually. That's how it goes. But, but they're coming. But they're coming. Go to our internet page, sarahsholmes.com, and you can to see To our dates. internet page. <laughs> our internet page. On the information <laughs> superhighway. On the info <laughs> <laughs> I just decided to go retro with you. Right. Do you remember when we didn't have that, though? Right. It was like, do, 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 you know, the dial-up. Yeah. <laughs> go to a record store and ask them what's, what's happening. Yes. 100%. Zines. In Atlanta, uh, when um, Weezer, first time I heard Weezer, mm -hmm. I didn't know it was Weezer. I just heard one of their songs. It was like in the background of everything. Mm hmm and uh, I had to go into a record store called Criminal Records in Atlanta and sing it. It was the, it was the, yep, yep, when you're on a holiday, yeah. And so like, you know, like I've heard it in the background, like snippets on television, not even on the radio. So I barely even know the words, you know? And they were like, let's get somebody else. And then they figured it out, you know? And that's how I started listening to Weezer, which is, a way different experience than, than nowadays. Oh, yeah, because it's like Spotify's like, here's who you like. Right. They're not right. They're <laughs> not right. They don't know. They get it wrong so much. I want to ask uh, a couple more things, and I think we'll wrap up. But, All uh, right. So one, uh, so I'll tell you a story, then ask you a question. Story time. Okay. So, you know, I write this weekly comic for the Colorado Sun. Um, it's called What I Miss. Basically, uh, it's a white woman in her 50s and a black man in his 20s. Mm -hmm. And they talk about everything from their different perspectives. That's so sweet. Yeah, right on. And uh, we did like three weeks on abortion um, uh, and Roe specifically. Mm. But uh, And the artist is Corey Redford. She's really talented. Um, but one of the interesting things to me in writing that is I'm writing it from a definite perspective. Mm. And um, But the editor of the Colorado Sun told me that his sister in Texas uses the comic with her Bible study group mm. to engage in social issues. And there's not a part of me that ever thought that my demographic was going to be white women in Texas, right? Man, that's what I'm saying. When spirits, uh, what's it, Reverend Sekou says, when the spirits got says move, you got to move. You know, it's very, right. very, uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. You know? well, so I, I wonder for you, are like, is there any place where um, you have felt people engage with your your art in a way that was unexpected and um, moving to you. Hmm. Right. So there's, you know, I recently um, did an uh, like interview, more like a dialogue, really. You know, for Youth on Record, oh yeah. um, as part of the fundraiser, and I thought that was so cool to to get to unpack things with people in real time. Hmm. And then the audience, like, wow. That's, right. that's usually not the case with art, you know. Um, or uh, not, with not with art, but, like, not with performing, rather. It's right. usually, like, I'm... We are in dialogue together, yes, right? But I'm not, like, going on 15-minute tangents about how this came into fruition. Mm -hmm. um, and I really love that element of... Hmm. 
uh, of unpacking the song. People's kids love our music, man. Huh. I've just that's what I my that was my one of my hopes. Yeah. You know, because I love children and they're just really great critics. So if they like it, I'm doing something right. Right. Um but people oh, just seeing people send us videos of their kids listening to our music, you know, that's I didn't really see that happening when I first started. You huh. know, when we first started, I was like, I'm a rock and roll band. Fuck the band. Punk, you know. Right. And I'm like, give me all the children. <laughs> just like, indoctrinate the children with serotonin. Let's <laughs> get free, you know. Um, so I, I didn't see that coming. Or, yeah. you know, friends are going to really, you know, I'm part of these children's lives. Like, huh. wow, that is not what I expected to happen when I started this band back in the day. Right. Hmm. That's beautiful. I love Isn't that. that cool? Yeah. That we're like, yeah. <laughs> Good day, you know, rocking out. Let's get it. Serotonin yeah. for the kids. Serotonin is for the children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, then, uh, what? Okay. So this is just kind of we wrap things up. But what is your um your current sort of geeky interest? Like you mentioned sci-fi earlier. Mm, yeah. Oh, Octavia Butler. Oh, yes, yeah. Octavia Butler. You when know. you said you had a relative named Octavia, I immediately was like. So no, my grandma's name is Octavia. Okay. It's just like it's, it's a strong ass name. Right. Oh, what a great, oh, what a phenomenal Octavia. You know? When you said it, I was like, you have good names in your family. <laughs> <I know. laughs> strong Armstead, Lottie. You right. Know? Octavia, just really robust. One of my aunt Puma. She has one of my favorite names. Um. <laughs> Of names, I tell you, she had my great grandma had 12 children, so lots yeah. of names. Um, same actually, you're 12. No, my, my grandmother is the oldest of 12. What, yeah, what were they doing? <laughs> Living on a farm, around. yeah, <laughs> that's what they were doing. They're kind of like at a, at a time the kids kind of start raising each other, yeah, and, you know, it works out, and this is community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, Octavia Butler, I mean, just forever. You know, she was so private about her personal life, which I appreciate so yeah. much because in this era where people just feel entitled to know, like, what you are right. doing in the day-to-day, I'm so glad that I didn't know what my favorite artists were doing. I didn't want to know. Yeah. Awful. So, you know, I love that Octavia gifted us her privacy, hmm. you know, and she also gifted us these these texts for, like, how do we do this? And, you know, right now... I've been really feeling, um, you know, Wild Seed and Mind of My Mind coming, I've been re-reading, re- re-reading, re-reading yeah. those texts, thinking of Mind of My Mind and you know, how that relates to movement building, you know, so taking what Octavia's laid out and like applying it to how do we survive this, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, um, the main protagonist of Mind of My Mind and like how she is the pattern holder. Yeah. And she's like, people are just, we are literally intertwined and like have to deal with each other. Um, so it's less that I'm, uh, I'm obsessed with Octavia Butler because she didn't let us know too much, which, sorry, this is sound. Um, <laughs> she said, no. <laughs> um, here, here you go. This is what you get to have access to. And yeah. like, she taught me boundaries with that, right? Huh. You know, Octavia's like, actually, you don't need to know my whole business. Here you go. That's such an interesting perspective on things because, like you said, uh, basically being making a living as an artist, mm-hmm. there's so much demand for you to be a personality on top of that. Right. And, you know, for me, if I could figure out how to Banksy this shit, I would do it. But <laughs> right. it seems like people need me to be a figure, you know? But, you know, there's, there's a gift in that too, right? Because, like, you're an artist every day that you wake up. You know, you're an artist when you're brushing your teeth. You're an artist when you're putting on your shoes. And, you know, having that humanity, um, I, I think, makes the art that much more dynamic sometimes. You know, like, I don't want people to see all this, but, like, just knowing that you exist. And especially, like, you as, like, a black man out here just living and, like, creating is... I need to see this. Like, <laughs> I need to see you happy and, like, yeah. you know, enjoying life and, and having good relationships, like, as an artist. Because we've, you know, the, 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 these false narratives that we were taught, that, oh, you're an artist, you're, 
die alone or he's always right. going to be miserable or he's going to be broke. And I'm like, I'm none of those things. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I think about uh, what seeing uh, Melvin Van Peebles, mm-hmm. like there's that documentary on, on him, uh, How to Eat Your Watermelon and White Company yeah. and Enjoy It. Like that did a lot for me. Right. Like seeing like how determined he was to get his message out and what he wanted to accomplish and how he did it. Right. You know, so if I, if I can do that for somebody else by making a sacrifice of leaving my house occasionally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll do it. But man, yeah, my, my introvert self is very much like I could just chill at home. Uh, same friends. Yeah. Like I'm defo an introvert. I yeah. just learned how to be an extrovert because my grandma made me. She was like, right. go sing for these people. Come get I these mints. Come get these mints, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, grandma, do I have to? Right. Like, do I have to do this? Because I'm completely content, like, sitting on my porch watching hummingbirds yeah. and just living my best country bitch life. Like, completely fine yeah. with that, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe in some ways that uh, makes for a pure, a more pure interaction with the mm. world because uh, fame isn't a goal. Mm. You know, like, fame's a, it's a tool. Right. But, like, if you get caught up in it, like, it'll... it'll you, it's ego. You know? It's like fame is solely based on ego. And yeah. I'm not saying that like ego is a bad thing, right? But having a, an ego that's unbalanced and not checked is is a great way to uh, to end up without community. You know, to just be solely focused on yourself. Like, gross. Who wants <laughs> that? You know. Well, AJ, I think that's a beautiful place to end. Yay. Thank you so thank much you. for taking it. You have a really dope perspective on the world. And yeah, I just love being able to hear it. So thank you. Thank you for my comic and for everything. Special thank you to today's guest, AJ Haynes. Thank you so much for having me. This has yeah. been an honor <laughs> and a privilege. Uh, make sure that you check out Love and Algorithms, the latest album from my band, Sarah Tones. And... Support your local abortion fund, um, or you can give to the National Network of Abortion Funds, or you can give to uh, my home friends at the New Orleans Abortion Fund. All of it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to our listeners. Please be sure to subscribe for more episodes of How Artists Born and leave a review. It really helps us out. Check out MTA Denver on YouTube and subscribe there too for behind the scenes clips for today's episode.